Today we're starting a series on the parables of Christ. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, 3 through 11. This is the parable of the sower and then Jesus' explanation of the parable in verses 18 through 23. The title of this message is Grace to Grow. Grace to Grow. Let's read the word of God together. It says, And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And then skip down to verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he, who, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I want to specifically pray for the communities of Dayton and El Paso, just in light of the events that have happened here recently. So let's pray. Father, we come to you and um, we thank you that you are in control. And Lord, we specifically lift up these two communities to you and ask God that you would comfort these families that have lost ones, God, in ways that we can't even imagine, the pain that they're going through, and yet you, Lord, can comfort And so we ask that you would move, that you would even cause something that the enemy meant for evil to work out for their good, and that the church would stand up in this hour and offer light to these communities and be a place, a safe haven for the broken and for the lost to come in and hear the gospel and come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Four things I want to talk to you today about as it relates to this passage, sowing, soil, seeking, And then once again, sowing, and I'll explain why sowing is there twice. But just a little background on this passage. Uh, This gospel, Matthew, was written by Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples. And Matthew was a tax collector. He was, uh, during that day, tax collectors weren't uh, looked upon too fondly because what they would do is they would actually take uh, money, they would collect money from their own people for the Roman Empire. And so they were seen as, as sellouts, and then usually they would take a little bit for themselves on top of the normal tax amount. So leave it to Jesus to invite someone like this, who's sure to stir up all the other disciples who are loyal you know, Jews, 
to be a part of his group of followers. But Matthew, his life was completely transformed by Jesus. And he writes this account of Jesus' life and ministry in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you look at the book of Matthew, there are five teachings or discourses of Jesus that Matthew organizes his book around. This is Matthew chapter 13 is the third teaching of Jesus. It's called the parabolic discourse. And basically, there's going to be a string of parables that Jesus teaches. And what parables are, it's, it's important anytime you uh, study you know, any kind of literature that you understand the type of literature so that you can get to the meaning. You don't read a science fiction novel the same way that you would read the newspaper or the same way that you would read a history textbook. And so in order for us to understand this passage, we have to know a little bit about what parables are. So that word parable, the English word parable, it comes from a a Greek word, parabola. Bola means to throw. Para means alongside. So the idea is that something is being, two things are being thrown alongside together. And in this case, Jesus is taking something that's really well known to his audience, farming. This is an agricultural society. And he's throwing it alongside of something that's harder to understand, something that's harder to grasp, the kingdom of God. And the idea is that by using this metaphor of a farmer, the people that are listening can better understand something about the kingdom. It says, Behold, the sower went out to sow. Sowing. I'm grateful that Jesus came to me and sowed the gospel, the seed of the gospel. I got saved uh, when I was young, five years old. My father actually was an atheist. Um, He was at the University of Maryland. Somebody played tennis against him, and at the end of the match, the guy said, you know, I just, I won and everything, but I just want you to know I played to glorify God. And my dad was like, that's the strangest thing I've ever heard. It's really cheesy. What are you talking about? He saw the guy a couple months later on campus, and he gave him, my dad, a, a Bible. And so my dad started to read the Bible, and as he read it, he had some questions about it. And the Holy Spirit used that to ultimately win my father to, to Jesus. And so as a result of that, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm like the one percentile. Two parents who were married, who both loved Jesus. I heard the gospel. We had family devotions. And I benefited from two people who sowed the seed of the gospel over and over again. I came to this church uh, when I was in third grade. There was a family, the Webbs, uh, who the oldest son told me, hey, you got to come to my church. There's a bunch of Redskins that go there. And I was a big Redskin fan. That's all I needed to know. And I was ready. It's funny, the the foolish things God, God will use to draw us to himself. And growing up in this church, I... I'll never forget in sixth grade, this missionary came here from Eastern Europe, and uh, he had a son who was a little bit older than me at the time. And I recognized that even though I, I knew Christ, I had a relationship with him, his son had something I didn't have. I was doing things out of a sense of duty. I was doing things because I knew I was supposed to. I was supposed to pray. I was supposed to read the Bible. But his son had a real passion for Jesus. And he just asked our fifth and sixth grade class here at this church, He said, how many of you guys want to have an encounter with Jesus? And I thought, well, I'm in church. I I have to raise my hand for that, you know. So I raised my hand. The presence of God came in that room. And for the first time, everything that I knew to be true in my head about Jesus fell 12 inches into my heart. And I was radically changed. 
I had two youth pastors, one of which is that shared earlier, earlier, Pastor Corey, who poured into me, who discipled me, hearing sermons every Sunday from Pastor Brett and the word of Christ being preached. My point is that there is one sower, Jesus, and yet he uses humans, he uses his church to sow the seed. And you know, we, ha- we live in a relativistic, pluralistic society in which your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. It's been said that, you know, life is full of many doors, but you know, only one door is, only one door leads to life. Jesus said, I am the door. There's only one seed. In this scenario that Jesus, this parable that he's teaching, there's four different types of soil, but don't be confused. The difference in the production of each of these seeds is not in the seed. The seed is the same in each four scenarios. The seed is the gospel of Jesus. The seed is the fact that God is perfect and he's holy and yet he's loving. He desires a relationship with you and I. He longs to be in fellowship with us. But our sin has separated us from God. We need somebody to close the gap of that separation. And God sent his very best. He sent his son, Jesus, who lived on this earth a perfect life. He died on the cross that you and I deserve to die. And three days later, he rose again. And if anybody would repent and believe in him, we can have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the seed. That's what changes lives. That's what saves sinners like me and you. The question for us, though, this afternoon is, What is the condition of the soil of our hearts when that perfect seed comes into our life? Jesus described four different types of soil. So there's sowing of Jesus by his grace, the fact that he would come to this earth and sow seed, the people that he uses. But then there is the soil, and that's our hearts. What happens when that seed comes to us? And he describes four different situations. In verse 4, he says, And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Now, here was a people who was oppressed by a Roman society. They were outsiders. They were oppressed economically. They were used to being trampled upon. And, you know, if you live in this world, as evidenced by what happened in El Paso and Dayton, there's a trampling that happens because of the effects of sin. We grow up in homes where parents are divorced. We experience sexual abuse. We experience physical abuse. We experience people, coaches, and teachers who may be well-meaning, but in a moment of frustration say something to us, and it sears us for the rest of our lives, or it can. As a result of living in this fallen world, we can be trampled on top of. And that's what's being described here is in this field that as a farmer would sow, there would be a path around the, the farm. And it was a path that he would walk to sow the seed. And that path was for walking, not for sowing. But as that seed fell on the the path, because it was hard, because it was, was condensed, the seed would not fall into that soil. You know, as a result of the things that we experience, the pain of this world, our hearts can become hardened. We can experience unforgiveness. We can experience bitterness. And the word that goes forth Even though it's the perfect word of God, we don't receive it because of pain and hurt that we've experienced. Jesus described what happens as the birds come and they 
scoop up. They eat away this seed. And behind those birds are the enemy. He whispers in our ears, oh, this guy, he doesn't, he doesn't understand what you've gone through. He doesn't understand your family situation or, or what that person said to you. The enemy whispers, oh, you could do this later. You can give your life to Jesus later. That's something that once you get through college or once you climb the corporate ladder or, or once it's you know, more convenient to follow Jesus, then you can do that. Or he whispers things like, you got you, you to clean yourself up before you can come to God. You want, I mean, once you're a good person, then you can come to God. It's the enemy coming and snatching that seed of the word of God. But you know, the Holy Spirit has a plow. Jesus Christ sows that seed and it lands on hard ground like our hearts. But the Holy Spirit has a plow that begins to till up the hardest parts of our lives. And if we'll avail ourselves to the Holy Spirit, if we'll listen to our voice, the Holy Spirit starts plowing up that dry ground and the seed of God's word can go into the ground and produce something of value. Amen? There was a guy, I want to help those of you who might be experiencing unforgiveness you know, there was a guy in, uh, in college, I was leading a Bible study of, of uh, a few freshman guy, guys, and um, there was one guy who was a Christian who was a part of our campus ministry, and he was really well-meaning, well-intentioned, but he came into our Bible study, and he was just full of zeal, and he tried to take over the Bible study, and then, I mean, this was like something from like a movie scene or something like that. He told all the guys to come follow him, and he was kind of teaching them some bizarre stuff, and so it was a small thing, but I just, I felt kind of uh, bitter about the whole thing. I didn't want to talk to the guy. I didn't want to see the guy. And I just remember I was listening to a sermon. I was in church, and the pastor was speaking. I don't remember what the pastor was speaking about, but the Holy Spirit just began to convict me about how I was thinking about this other guy. And at the end of the sermon, I came down to the front, and um, there was a guy there who was, you know, I was sharing with him what happened. And he said, Stephen, you have to forgive this guy. And I said, you know, I, I don't really want to forgive him, but okay, I'll forgive him. So I just said, I just, Lord, I forgive this guy in Jesus' name. And you know what I felt after that? Nothing. I felt absolutely nothing. I felt just as bad as before I'd asked for forgiveness and forgiven that guy. And then he said something to me. He said, um, now, Stephen, I want you to bless him. I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> I, I've heard about the forgiveness thing, but this is taking it to a whole nother level. I mean, this, did, you, did I tell you what this guy did? He said, I want you just to bless him, bless his family. And I started blessing him, and all of a sudden the tears started to flow. And I recognized that the hardness of my heart, God was plowing that soil. You know, if there's somebody that you have not forgiven, if there's someone, whether it's a coach or a teacher or someone in your family, I would just want to encourage you, maybe at the end of service, to grab somebody to forgive them, but not only to forgive them, but to bless them, to thank God for them, to, to ask God for his blessing and favor on, over their lives. Verse 7, it says others, I'm sorry, verse 5, others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. So now Jesus is describing the rocky places. So in the first situation, the path, the seed was, was sown, but it never actually took to the ground. In this case, the seed sown and it actually takes, and it starts to spring up quickly. But then because there's no roots, the, the, the soil is shallow, eventually the plant dies. Jesus would later explain that, verse 21, the problem is there's no fir firm root in himself, in this person. 
You know, Pastor tells us here, the, uh, the youth pastor, and he and I have had the privilege of um, overseeing an event uh, over the years called Camp Collide. And uh, just a quick shout out, if you've got a teen, tell them to go to Camp Collide in the fall. But, you know, I, it would always amaze me as a youth pastor. We would take these kids, and uh, it would be like the time of their lives. It was a whole weekend. And, you know, they would do fun things like zip lining. But every Saturday night, it was the second night, I mean, it's like clockwork. The presence of God comes, and the kids call it cry night. Because, I mean, the Holy Spirit's moving. I, m- I remember one point, there, was, uh, there were five or six sixth grade guys, and the Holy Spirit, and these guys are, are linking arms, they're praying, and, and someone prophesied, you guys are going to be a, a band of brothers. And seven years later, these guys are still walking together, great friends. But you know what equally surprised me as I did this, you know, kind of year after year? There was a large amount of kids who their life was radically changed by that moment. But then there were other kids who cried, who God ministered to, who, met, who God met them where they were. But then after a couple months, it was back to the same old, same old. And I began to develop a hunger and a desire to help these Christians and help myself establish roots in the ground. It's easy to go to a conference. It's easy to go to like a prophetic gathering and you experience the presence of God. You're in the, the house of God with the people of God. You can feel the, the tingling sensation up your spine. You can feel the presence, the goosebumps. God is here. He's tangible. He's powerful. But you know what's even more impactful than those highs? It's the daily drip of discipleship. Slow is fast. It's just every day getting in the presence of God, waking up a little earlier than you want to, reading your Bible, praying, establishing roots in the ground. And what happens is as you go deeper in your faith, you tap into something, a reservoir underneath the ground. You know, I, um, this, this whole news about El Paso really hits home for me because I lived in El Paso, my family and I, for three years. And while we were there, it's, it's complete desert. And yet every once in a while, you'll find a massive tree just out of nowhere in the middle of this desert. And I always wondered, how could these massive trees grow in the middle of a desert? But what these trees do is they have a root system that goes deep, deep, deep beyond just the natural ground. All the way, they actually tap into groundwater. And as a result, it doesn't matter how dry it is, how long. I mean, it would, we would go weeks, sometimes even a month without rain, and yet these trees would be flourishing because their root system got down to that reservoir, that groundwater. And every time we're in the presence of God, every time we wake up in the morning, we get before God, we have our Bible, we pray. It doesn't matter the trials, the tribulations, the circumstances we're going through. We can tap into that reservoir. Verse 7 says, others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. So there's been a progression here. The first scene, you have the seed that never started. It was sown, but it never took to the ground. The second with the rocks, it started, it grew really quickly, but then the tribulation comes and it dies. The third seed, it's sown, it grows, and actually it grows up. But what happens is the thorns choke it out. You know, I have a blueberry bush in the the back of our house. And when my wife and I, when we were looking at houses, um, we we came across this house and we were looking in the backyard and there was this beautiful garden. And we were so grateful for the family who came before us who 
planted all this stuff. And then I, I had an epiphany after we moved into the house that I actually have to maintain this garden now. <laughs> like it's not going to just, you know, tend to itself. And so over the last year since we've lived in this house, uh, I have been pulling things that I thought were weeds only to find out they were really plants. <laughs> I've been pruning things. Really, I've just been hacking things off and causing plants to die. But in my garden that is uh, quickly fading away, faster than uh, the plants that in this passage here, um, in my garden there is a blueberry bush. It is the prize of all my plants, even though I've contributed obviously nothing to it. So I figured, look, I'm going to experiment on all these other plants, but the blueberry bush, I'm going to leave that sucker alone because I want some blueberries, okay? And so a year goes by. We moved in last July. We, we just, you know, finished July, and July is when these blueberries bloom. And so, you know, i kind of been watching it from afar. I hadn't gotten too close, uh, but it came time to harvest these blueberries. And I, and I noticed that, you know, there wasn't a lot of blueberries there. And, you know, I'm just calling down the fire of God over these squirrels and these birds <laughs> that are taking my beloved blueberries. But as I finally go to harvest these blueberries, I realize that there was actually a thorn, a, a, a thorn that had started outside of the fence in my backyard, had made its way in the backyard through the fence, had wrapped itself around my blueberry bush a couple times, and it actually choked out some of its fruit. And I recognized that I hadn't gotten close enough to that blueberry bush to identify that that wasn't one of the blueberries' uh, vines or, or branches. It was actually a thorn bush that was growing. And, you know, we can wait a while to the harvest time to inspect our lives. We can wait till our kids get older. We can wait till we get to that corner office. But what we don't realize is that there are weeds that are growing up in our lives. There are weeds that are choking out our fruit. So I want to be a Christian. I want to be a type of follower of Jesus that is examining my life daily, who's asking the Holy Spirit to search my heart. Because, you know, the first, in the first scenario, the enemy or the, the, the opposition to this seed was the enemy. The second situation with the rocks, it wasn't the enemy. It was ourselves, not establishing foundation. But here in this third situation, it's actually the world. It's the cares of the world. It's the deceitfulness of riches. You know, I've recognized in my own life that what I often have to be guarded against is things outside in the world that I pray against, that I rebuke in Jesus' name, only to find that they found a way in my own heart, in my own life. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We live in a fast-paced, Northern Virginia, D.C., Maryland, if your kids aren't playing three sports, if you're not playing AAU, if you're not, you know, working 60 hours a week, commuting two hours, I mean, you are not succeeding at life. <laughs> but, you know, in our pursuit of the things God's called us to, and our obedience to fulfill our purposes, we have to be on guard against what expectations are we putting on ourselves that have come from the culture and the world around us versus what kind of expectation has Jesus placed on us. We need to evaluate our crop before the harvest. You know, the Holy Spirit has gloves and pruning shears for us, and he often uses... Unfortunately, our spouses, 
our kids, our boss who's the second coming of the Antichrist, <laughs> right? He uses co-work, not, not this boss, not this boss. I was, I was mirroring your, I was identifying with you all, okay? I was trying to put myself in your shoes. If you have the privilege of having a boss like mine, then, man, let me tell you, the sanctification process is that much better, smoother. Man, I almost got in trouble and lost my job there. Okay, let's, let's hurry on to the fourth situation here. Verse 8, and others, it says, fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. So this is the, the situation that should resemble our lives, the good soil. Somebody who not only hears the word, but hears and understands. You know, I tell my kids, you need to listen and obey, right? It's not enough just to listen, but it's listening and obeying. And that's what it means to understand. It's to hear God's word, but to actually put it into practice, to be doers of the word. And what happens when we do that is we produce a harvest. God produces a harvest through us that are 160 and 30-fold. The average uh, crop production would be 5 to 15-fold. So you follow Jesus, the abundance, the fruitfulness that comes out of your life far exceeds anything you can do in the natural. You know, and I'm thankful, too, that there's these three scenarios of, of 160 and 30 because God doesn't compare us to the person next to us. He's not looking for us to produce what, you know, maybe that, leader of our usher team produces or that Bible study leader produces, he's asking us to produce a crop that he wants to produce in us, to be faithful with what we have. Verse 9, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. And before we move on, I just want to give us a moment to pause and to consider which one of these four scenarios are we? Are we the seed that's been sown on the road where we come to church but we've never actually allowed the word that was preached to take root in our hearts, maybe because of bitterness or unforgiveness. We're going through the religious motions, but we've never experienced the transformation of the gospel. Maybe we're the rocky places where we've heard amazing messages, we've got excited, we've lifted our hands, we've experienced the goosebumps, but we've never actually established foundations in our life. We've never developed a moment where we spend time with Jesus each day. Or maybe we're the thorns, where we've been growing for a while, we've been a Christian for a while, but slowly some of these pressures from the culture, some of these influences from the culture have slowly seeped into our lives. Or are we the good soil that produces a crop that others can benefit from? Verse 10, it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So when we look at this parable, the, the tendency might say, okay, well, I need to, uh, I need to like try my very best and, and make sure I'm, I'm that fourth scenario. I got to try harder, be a better Christian. But, you know, I think the response of the disciples shows a little bit of a better way. These disciples were seekers. That's the third S, seeking. See, when a parable was shared, a parable had kind of a dual effect. It's almost like when um, you go to a car shop, and I know absolutely nothing about cars. I'm the type of guy that when I go get my car fixed, I try to look up, I Google like a part of the car and throw it out just so they'll think I know what I'm talking about and I won't get ripped off. 
But as soon as I hear like, you know, radiators and alternators, and I just kind of just tune out, right? Because that insider jargon and stuff, it just, it just pulls me away. But if you talk to a real car enthusiast, as soon as those parts start getting named, they actually lean forward. You know, a parable has that effect. That a parable, the meaning is often below the surface. It takes us kind of leaning in, really inquiring our ear to what's being said. And so here Jesus shares this parable with the masses, and yet it's only his disciples who come up closer to him and say, why do you teach in these parables? What's, what's the meaning of this? You know, if we, we as disciples of Jesus, if we'll ask God for insight and revelation, if when we hear the word being preached, if we may only understand 10% of it or 20% of it, but if we'll take that as a cue to dive deeper, God will reveal more of himself. Understanding who God is, it doesn't come from trying harder. It comes from leaning in. Leaning in and asking God to open up our ears so that we can hear. You know, as I was preparing for this message, um, the Holy Spirit convicted me of something. I thought about the literally hundreds of sermons I've heard in this church between Sunday morning, Wednesday night, prophetic conferences, other conferences that we've had. And it got me thinking, how many times has a sower, Jesus Christ, through the word that was preached, sown seed, and I was on my phone, or I was checking my email, or I was worrying about bills that I have to pay, or I was thinking about an argument I have with my wife, and that seed just fell on rocky soil, or it fell on thorns. You know, it got me thinking about the messages that, that I heard and that resonated with me and that actually produced a harvest, a 30-fold harvest. But what if God wanted to do 60-fold? What if he wanted to do 100-fold? It's our lives, and yet it's not our seed. It's the seed of Jesus Christ. And when he sows that seed, we don't own that seed. He does. He's expecting a harvest for his seed. He's expecting us to produce an abundance with it. He's expecting us to take what we've received and to share it with others. And then lastly, sowing. I heard a story from a, a local pastor here uh, who actually does ministry in China. And he described the first time that he preached in China to an underground church. And he said he preached the message and he was used to people kind of responding, people looking at him, nodding their head. He was even used to people falling asleep. But when he went to the church in China, he was really surprised because when he preached, all he saw was heads that were bowed. And these Chinese Christians writing, writing as frantically as they could on, on a piece of paper. And he asked them, well, why are you guys writing so frantically? And they said, you don't understand we got to receive this, but then we got to go teach it to people who've never heard it before. These Christians who didn't even have a Bible, they were transcribing the messages so that they could share it with somebody else. And that kind of fervency, that kind of hunger for the Lord, that's what God desires for us, is that we would take the word of God and we wouldn't just keep it, we wouldn't just bury it, but we would sow it. We would be like Jesus who went out to sow a seed. It's, this parable starts with, with, as a sower went out to sow. A, parab a, a sower doesn't care where the seed falls. 
It's not like when we think of planting seed, we think of somebody coming and just kind of planting one by one. The sower would have a knapsack and would throw out these seeds liberally, not caring where they went. The sower's job was just to sow. And I'm trying to find in my life opportunities to sow liberally. I've been a Christian for a little bit, and I've never had somebody in my whole entire life say, hey, can you tell me the gospel? Can you tell me about Jesus? Hey, I was just, I woke up today and just had this question like, how do I get saved? I, I, I never had that. I mean, the guy who preached the last service, one of my best friends, I mean, the guy breathes and people get saved, okay? I mean, people come up to him and, and they're asking how to be, I don't have that experience. For me, it's evangelism for the terrified. That's me. And so every opportunity I get, I have this internal battle between, oh, what is this person going to think? Or, oh, but I know the importance of this message. And I've been asking God for the boldness to sow this seed. If it falls on, if it falls on stones, so be it. If it falls on thorns, so be it. But I'm going to sow, and I'm going to sow, and I'm going to expect some of that seed to bear 160 and 34. Think about Jesus. He's telling this parable. He's telling this parable to his disciples. And think about the men he's sharing this with. He's sharing this with the disciples who, uh, one of which Peter, the rock, who in the moment of his tribulation, the rocks would crush out his seed. He would deny Jesus three times. He sowed the seed to Judas, who the thorns, the deceitful, uh, deceitfulness of riches, choked out the seed that was sown. And yet Jesus, with compassion, still sowed. He still sowed. Because of the faithfulness of the sower, because of the power of the seed, he just sowed and he sowed and he sowed. And these 12 men, all but Judas, went and preached the gospel and saw the world turn upside down. We need to sow the seed of Jesus Christ. Amen? What have I said? Jesus is the gracious sower. The gospel is the seed. We need to examine our lives and ask ourselves, what kind of soil are we when that seed comes, we need to lean in, open up our ears, ask God to open our ears. We receive the seed not by actions, not by doing good things, but through faith in Christ. And lastly, we need to sow and sow. The seed that's been sown from Jesus through humans, people in the church, we need to be sowers ourselves. But lastly, in closing, I just want to share this, uh, this story of my, my junior year of college, there was a, a group of five guys who uh, kind of like the motley crew, you know, the unlikely guys. I mean, we would have this Bible study. This guy that was down my, uh, down my hall my freshman year recently got saved. It was the two of us. And, you know, to be honest, I didn't have much experience leading the Bible study, didn't know a whole lot. He had been saved all of a couple weeks, okay, but he had some friends who wanted to uh, surprisingly study the Bible. These guys were all people who weren't Christians. And so we met in his apartment, and that first day, I'll never forget, there was bottles of alcohol, guys put down uh, blunts. You guys don't know what those are. Um, and then uh, guys were, I mean, it was just a bizarre sight. And I remember thinking, like, is this thing really going to work? Like, there's a guy here who we would do the Bible study, and he would fall asleep every week. There's another guy who, who was living with his girlfriend. And I thought, 
is this gospel, like, is this really, like, I know I've heard about it in church, and I know it's power, but does this really have the power to save? And one by one, I watched as the power of God through the gospel transformed these guys' lives. I saw the guy who fell asleep every Sunday without fail radically get saved, and now as a chaplain, he's paid by a company, a Fortune 500 <laughs> company company, he's paid by a Fortune 500 company to share the gospel with people. This other guy, the freshman, is now a pastor at a church in Virginia Beach, at a mega church like this. The other guy who he was living with, his girlfriend, she started coming to our Bible study and had to make a mandatory rule. No one can wear their underwear anymore to Bible study. You have to wear clothes because we have a female with us. She would come. She got saved. She went back to her campus. She started a Bible study, and people started getting saved there. The one guy who was a Christian, other than my friend, was backslidden. He was the most discouraging of all because I'm like, dude, at least you, you know better than this. These other guys don't. That guy rededicated his life to Christ, and now he oversees a missions organization in Latin America. That is the power of the sower and the seed of this gospel. Amen.